welcome. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Everybody connecting with us online. We're so glad you've connected there today. We love our youth program here. We've got such great uh, staff and youth sponsor volunteers that give so much of their time and effort. Let's thank them one more time for all that they do for us. Great job. In another week or so here, we've got uh, the, the senior high, CIY, move, and they'll be leaving. Uh, is it move or mix? I can't remember which one is which. Move is the, is the senior high one, and they'll be going uh, to their week, and uh, we've got some great sponsors going with that as well. Thank you all for the hard work that you do. I got a couple of things I want to mention today. One I, I didn't know was going to, to be here today, but, but our youth pastor here at the Antioch campus, Tito, uh, and his wife, Megan, recently had a baby, and they are here today for the first time with a baby, Joaquin, right back there. Yeah. 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 Glad to have them here. And I'm going to ask Mike Scherer to come back out here if he would. Mike kind of jumped the gun on us. We had planned to do a little presentation today. He went ahead and posted on Facebook that 25 years ago, he and his family moved here to serve with Lakeshore. And this week marks his 25 years of service and ministry with us here at Lakeshore Christian Church. Yeah. Now that speaks a lot to his love for God, his commitment to the church. And Mike has been asked to do a lot of different things over those 25 years. When we brought him on board 25 years ago, we didn't have a youth ministry program or anybody on staff doing that really. And Mike started our youth program here at Lakeshore Christian Church 25 years ago and has influenced so many young people over the years through that. And then as we grew and as things changed, he transitioned into some other roles. He uh, is an executive pastor now of family ministries, especially focusing on our life groups. And he also recently took on this job here at the Antioch campus of leading our music and fine arts uh, here at this campus. Doing a great job with that, too. Yeah. So, Mike, we want to thank you. We have a gift for you to, to thank you for your loyalty and service. We have a plaque we want to give you. It says, Pastor Michael Scherer, thank you for your commitment to being the hands and feet of Jesus to the body of Christ and the community. Congratulations on serving in the ministry of Lakeshore Christian Church for 25 years from your Lakeshore family. Thank you. Let's have a prayer over Mike right now. Father, we just thank you for Mike's love, his commitment, his friendship, his loyalty. He has been so dedicated, so consistently faithful to what you've called him to here at Lakeshore. We look forward to continuing to serve alongside Mike with all the good things you've prepared in advance for us to continue to do here in this place. Bless him and his family. We thank you for them all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Mike. God bless you, man. Yeah. I have been so blessed to have such great staff members around me as the pastor here, such a great elder team and staff and everybody, volunteer team, working throughout the years here at Lakeshore, and Mike is a big part of those blessings that we enjoy. We are continuing a series today uh, called Be Encouraged, and today we're talking about a subject that, that is often ridiculed in our country, uh, country today, and our culture today, not just here in the U.S., but in many other places too. The title of the message today is Maintaining Moral Purity. Maintaining Moral Purity. And 
As I was preparing for this message, back on Father's Day, I had seen a video that I just thought was hilarious. It was great. And it's by a Christian artist, Matthew West. Some of you know some of his music, probably. Great artist. He has a great sense of humor, Matthew West does. He often does some parodies and spoofs and things like that. Well, on Father's Day, he released this video that was a parody, a spoof video. He had his wife in it. He had his three daughters in it. And the title of the song video that he did was Modest is Hottest. You kind of see where he's going with that? Modest is hottest. He's got three daughters they're raising, and he's trying to, to encourage them to, you know, to be modest in how they dress and how they act and all of that. And, and that's a scriptural concept. It's a good thing. But he had fun with it. He had them dressed up in big, bulky turtleneck sweaters and what he called sensible slacks that they were wearing. And, uh, uh, and he just had fun with it. And the kids had fun with it. And the wife had fun with it. It was just having a good time and, and trying to get a good point across at the same time. Well, after he released the video, there was a firestorm of response to it. It, it was both good response, people that just loved how he used his humor to make a point like that, but there were people that just really tore him down and criticized him and ripped into him for being so uh, whatever they want to call it, uh, thinking that uh, this is the old line male supremacy kind of thing, you know, really attacking that and how he presented this video. He ended up pulling it off of all social media because it got so much negative response. So I can't show it to you today. I could, but Matthew wouldn't want me to, I know, because he don't want to stir that pot up again, right? But here's the deal. Moral purity is important for Christ followers. It always has been. It always will be. It is what God calls us to. The scriptures are clear on these issues. And if we're going to identify with Christ, we need to be careful to identify in a way that honors him, who he is. It's the holy Savior that he is. And we are supposed to represent him and his holiness in the world. And moral purity is a part of how we represent him well. And Paul speaks to that in the passage we're looking at today. Let's go to 2 Corinthians again. We're going straight through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 6. We're going to pick up today with verse 14. I want to read through the whole passage we're looking at today. It's really just to get the theme of what he's talking about here. In the first Corinthian letter, Paul had to address some spiritual immorality that was going on, some moral impurity that was going on in the church among Christ's followers. And he had to call them to correcting that and repenting of it. And, and he had to bring discipline into their lives. And now he's just reminding them of the principle that God calls us to as Christ followers, how we need to be different than the world and the culture around us and how we live our lives. So in verse 14, he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. By the way, that's a doctrinal thing that people are having a hard time grasping. The temple today is your body. That's the temple of God today. It's not the building in Jerusalem. That's not the temple today. It's the body that you live in as a Christ follower. That is the temple of God under the new covenant. 
Okay, so our bodies are a temple of God, so they need to be made holy for God, right? They need to be uh, kept pure and holy for him to dwell in. This is his place of dwelling now, all right? Then he goes on to say, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, he says, in light of all of that, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. He's quoting from scripture here from the Old Testament. And I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So here he has a calling for those who are going to identify with Christ who are going to represent God in the world. And that calling is an ongoing process of purifying ourselves. And in chapter 7, verse 1, when he says purify yourself, that's an ongoing process he's talking about there. You don't get it all cleaned up and then it's just going to stay clean from now on when you purify something. You have to keep working at it. You have to keep doing it. Why? Because contaminants keep coming back in. That's why. So it's an ongoing process purification process nobody's perfect we all mess up we all have sin in our lives and so we have to keep working at this purification process on a regular basis because contamination comes in and he says perfecting holiness again that's an ongoing process he's saying you don't reach some place where now you can say i'm holy now that's it don't have to work at it anymore right that's not the way this works it's a perfecting process an ongoing process uh, being made more and more like God. In fact, the scripture describes it as growing more and more into the image of Christ. That's an ongoing process in our lives. But if we're serious about that, we can no longer welcome impurities into our lives. Moral impurities cannot be made welcome in our lives anymore. Now, we may have failed in the past, and that's where we're so grateful for the mercy of God that his mercies are new every day. Even if we messed up this morning, his mercy is right here for you right now, okay? You can be made pure again by the power of God, the working of the blood of Jesus in your life. But there can't be a welcoming and an ongoing decision to keep going back to the impure things that contaminate us as Christ followers. There has to be a turning from that in order to honor God and represent Christ well in our culture. Here's what I, I, as I was preparing for this message, I wanted to do it in a very encouraging way. And I found something that I was reading that I thought, man, this is amazing. I hope you catch the impact of, of what I'm about to share with you here. There is an author, historian uh, named Tom Holland, who is also an atheist. And he has in his uh, writings and speaking been very critical of Christianity until he said he started really studying ancient civilizations and then the impact Christianity had on the world when it came on the scene and the difference that Christianity made when it came on the scene. Here's what he said in one of his books, uh, Dominion. Here's what he says. While studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something. Simply, the ancients were cruel. Their values were utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for physical pleasure for those with power. Infanticide was common. The poor and the weak had no rights at all. How did we get from there to here? It was Christianity, he says. 
Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage. Demanding that men control themselves and prohibiting all forms of rape, Christianity confined sexuality within monogamy. It's ironic, Holland notes, that these are now the very standards for which Christianity is derided. Christianity elevated women. In short, Christianity, Christianity utterly transformed the world for the better. This is an atheist who just looking at history said, Christianity has transformed the world in a powerful and positive way. And he says the thing that really transformed the world was the moral teachings of Christianity. That's what really made all the difference. And yet, even today in the church in America, churches are beginning to compromise and turn away from the clear moral teachings in Scripture. Why would we turn away from the thing that really transforms the culture? You see, our goal, our calling is not to become like the culture. Our calling is to be used by God to transform the culture, to change the culture. You can't change it if you adopt it and welcome it. You have to be willing to stand apart and be different. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah back in Isaiah 5. He said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What's beginning to happen in many churches and many pulpits and many pastors, many leaders in the church is they're starting to call evil good and good evil. And when we do that, we can't fulfill our purpose anymore as a church. And as a church, I'm talking about as us representing Christ. We are the church, right? So we can't fulfill our purpose individually if we start calling good evil and evil good. We can't. So we're called... And he gives us some principles in this passage that I just read that I want to look at today. Three principles to help us. I want to encourage you to maintain moral purity in your life. No matter what failures have been there in the past, you can start fresh today, brand new right now, uh, helping uh, maintain moral purity in your own life, in your family, having that influence on them, and in those around you that you have the opportunity to influence. The first principle is this, he says, don't be yoked with unbelievers, he says. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, that verse, I think, has been misused a lot, been taken out of context in some ways. Uh, a lot of times it's used to refer to marriage, and I do believe it, it, it does connect with marriage. Part, part of what he's talking about there is uh, yoked together in a way that directs your life, okay? So who you choose to marry has a big influence on you. It really does. So if you're not married right now and you're, you're thinking that's a possibility in the future, then one of the things this principle would apply to is, well, who should I look for if I'm going to be getting married? What kind of person should I be looking for? What kind of character should I be looking for if I'm going to get married? What should I want from that person I'm going to be yoked together with in marriage? You see, to be yoked together... Uh, we, we don't use that terminology a lot in our culture today because not many of us are farmers who plow with a yoke or who pull wagons with animals yoked together. And so we don't understand so much the concept of why it's important to be like-minded when you're yoked together. In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a really cool passage that says not to yoke together an oxen and a donkey. Now, why would he say not to, they're both strong animals? They both can pull a plow or pull a cart or a wagon 
Why would you not yoke together an oxen and a donkey? It's because they're two very different animals, two very different temperaments. An oxen is usually pretty much just head, nose to the ground, doing the work, staying on task. A donkey is pretty stubborn and rebellious, right? So you put those two together, what's going to happen? They're going to be fighting each other the whole time. It's not going to go well. They're not going to be able to work in harmony toward a common goal. So what should you do in a marriage? You should work together in harmony toward a common goal. That's the way the marriage is supposed to work. You're supposed to be a team working together. So if you're thinking about getting married and you're not married now, then, then obviously you need to look for someone who shares. If, you, if you're going to be a Christ follower and you're going to be serious about it, then you need to be yoked to someone else who's serious about it too, who has that direction, that goal in life too. Now, can you survive a marriage without that? Yeah, you can. But it will not be strengthening to your faith in a lot of ways for you to do it that way. So he's saying the ideal thing would be to be yoked to someone, some, with someone who shares those values, those goals, those beliefs that you have. That's the ideal. Now, some people have misused that passage to say, well, if I'm married to an unbeliever, then that means I, I don't have to stick with the marriage anymore. No, that's not what it means. Not what it means at all. It just means that, you know, the ideal is to be yoked together with a believer. But if you're not yoked together with a believer, then that means you've got to work even harder because God's calling you to be an influence on the unbelieving spouse. He says that in Scripture too, right? Hopefully your faith, your example, can be a good influence on that unbelieving spouse. But being yoked together with unbelievers is more than just marriage, friends. It's a lot more than just marriage. What about your business? What about your community involvement? Are you yoking yourself together with organizations or people that don't at all share your values as a Christ follower? Because here's the problem with that. There is a fine line between you having some good influence on them and them taking away from the testimony you're trying to have and what you're doing. And if you're yoked together with an unbeliever, even in business, let's say, for example, if you yoke together with an unbeliever in business, you're going to have some values on how you do business that they're not going to see as important to them as they are to you. They're not worried about representing Christ well in the business. They're just looking at the bottom line, right? So you can do things that might help the bottom line that don't represent Christ well. Regardless of how you feel about Chick-fil-A, I, I, I have great respect for the value they put on not opening on Sundays. Now, I know they can open on Sundays and still be a Christian company. We all understand that. But that's something they felt strongly about when they established the company. And so they stuck with that for so many years now. It's amazing. They even opened up a restaurant in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta who has their main activities on Sundays. But they don't open their store in that stadium on Sundays. It's amazing. And they're the number one rated fast food chain in America right now. That's pretty cool, right? But here's the thing. It's not just about not opening on Sunday. That's, that's not the, the main point. The main point is they felt like that was a value they didn't need to compromise on. And because it was a family-owned business and they didn't yoke themselves together with some people who didn't care about those things, they could take that stand that they felt like was important to them. So we need to be careful who we connect ourselves with, 
who we yoke ourselves together with. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do business with a non-Christian. You know, I, I don't think that's at all what he's talking about. He's talking about being yoked together in the common purpose of trying to get where you're trying to go together. That's what he's talking about. So we need to understand that we don't need to be yoked together with unbelievers. I love Jesus' prayer in John 17. Uh, when you have time, go back and read the whole prayer. I use it a lot because he prays for the unity of, of his followers. But in John 17 and verse 15, he's praying for his disciples there. Here's what he said. I pray, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see the difference there? When he says come out and be separate, he doesn't mean don't have contact with unbelievers. That's not what he's talking about. You, you can't live in this world and, be, and, and isolate yourself from all the stuff out there that's not godly and not good and not moral and not pure. You can't do it. It's impossible. He's not saying you even need to try to do that. What he's saying is, is I'm praying that while they're in the world, they're not... They're not allowing themselves to be controlled and led by the evil one while they're there. And there are certain things we can do to make it more likely we won't be influenced by Satan as we rub shoulders with people around us that aren't Christians. There are certain things we need to do. And, and one of those is not to be yoked together with an unbeliever on a level where they're having influence over us and the direction of our lives and our decisions. That's a big part of it. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, it says this. Back in that first letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He's not just talking about having a friend that's not a Christian. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the danger that lies within being really close to somebody over a long period of time who does not believe what you believe or practice what you practice in a close relationship with a person like that over a long period of time, the tendency is they're going to bring you down more than you're going to bring them up if that continues for a long period of time. So we have to be careful not to be yoked with unbelievers. That's the first principle. The second principle, if we want to maintain moral purity and honor God, represent him well in the world, the second principle is this. Think through the consequences of your choices before you make the choices. Think through the consequences before you say what you're going to say or do what you're about to do. He says, what fellowship can light have with darkness, right? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial was a word. It's not used often in Scripture, just here in, in Paul's letter, but it's, it's a name that the Jewish world outside of uh, Scripture used as a name for Satan. He's saying, what what?" What fellowship can those who honor God and want to follow God have with those who are being led by Satan and influenced by Satan? They don't, they don't mesh. They don't go together. And so we have to think about it. All right, if we let ourselves get caught up in the immorality and the impurity that Satan is leading people into, what consequences might go with that? Well, what's going to happen as a result when we give in and we compromise and we do it the way Satan is trying to get people to do it instead of the way God says to do it, what, what are the consequences of doing it that way? Well, all through Scripture, we're warned of the consequences. Uh, in Proverbs 21, verse 16, it says this, Whoever strays from the path of prudence, which means doing what's right with God, comes to rest in the company of the dead. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. In other words, he's emphasizing it will cost you 
to go down that path. It will always cost you to go down that path. I heard it said this way one time. Sin will always cost you more than you thought it would be, and it keep you there longer than you thought it was going to keep you there. Always, when you start playing around with it. It will always bring you to a place you didn't intend to go when you allow yourself to get caught up in it. That moment of that affair that seemed so great right at the first beginning of it, even just the flirtation that led to it, it seemed so fun. Did you even think at all about the consequences? Where that was going to take you? The hurt? The pain? The loss? That was going to be the result of it? Think about the consequences before you take the steps. And I know the world ridicules Christians a lot for trying to think, act like we're goody-two-shoes or, or we're self-righteous, you know, and we're so great. That's, that's not what this is about. This is about what real love is. When you really love someone, you love God, you love Jesus, you love your spouse, you love your family, do you ever want to hurt them if you really love them? No. And the prohibitions and the boundaries that God puts on our lives are not there to keep us from good things. They're not. They're there to protect us from the things that would hurt us and hurt others. So we have to learn to value the boundaries, the guidelines, the teachings that God gives us. And we need to think through the consequences of what's going to happen if we get outside those boundaries. And here's the danger about the deceitfulness of sin. And that is, it can be pleasurable for a season before you ever get the consequences. I mean, you could hide things for a long time sometimes if you're good at it. You could keep people from finding out things for a while if you're good at it. But there's a passage that's really important. It's in Numbers 32, verse 23. He's talking about what he's calling on those people to do to honor God. But he says, if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will what? Find you out. Your sin will find you out. In other words, it will finally be exposed. It'll finally come to the surface. And when it does, it hurts it kills, it destroys even innocent people in the process. We need to think about the consequences before we make the choices that we're making, before we say the words we're about to speak. Because if they're outside the clear teaching of God, it can never be God's will for you. And every time you get outside God's will, there's pain and suffering involved. Every time. It may not happen today or tomorrow, but it will happen. So the consequences are always there, always. And they always hurt. They always bring pain. That you, and I hear it all the time as a pastor. I never meant to hurt that person. No, but that's the consequence of the choices. That's why you need to think about the consequences before you make the choices. Because it always hurts. There's no way around it. That's what sin does. That's why the scripture says God hates sin. It doesn't hate the people who commit the sin. He hates the sin. 
because the sin hurts people always. Sin hurts. One of the things that hurts is your witness and your testimony for Christ. It doesn't just hurt the people that you didn't mean to hurt. It hurts your ability to represent Christ well. I mean, if we say we represent Christ and we're not honoring marriage the way God says to do marriage, what does that say about our real commitment to Christ, how much we really do honor Christ with our lives? And we're not really honoring Christ, are we? How, how good a witness are we going to be for him if we're not honoring what he teaches about marriage? It's not just marriage, money, business, any of those areas of our lives. Immorality can be a lot of things, not just sexual immorality, but a lot of things. You could do business in an immoral way. Does that represent Christ well? No. So we have to think about the consequences, not just for us, not just our family and the people that we love, but also our witness for Christ and how it hurts that when we don't maintain moral purity as Christ followers. It's going to hurt our ability to do what God put us here to do as his people. Well, the third principle is this. I want to encourage you here because we need to maintain moral purity. How do we do that? Well, I can tell you what's needed more than anything else for Christ's followers. And that is that we practice the spiritual disciplines in our lives regularly. We regularly practice the spiritual disciplines in our lives. Now, you say, well, what are the spiritual disciplines? Well, there's a lot of things, but, you know, things like praying regularly, reading scripture regularly, fellowshipping with other believers regularly, not, you know, not neglecting the assembly of the church on a regular basis. All those things are spiritual disciplines, right? Jesus was telling a parable about uh, uh, when an impure spirit is cast out of a person and what happens. In Luke 11, verse 24, he said this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes in and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Now, that can be a little confusing, but here's the principle. What a lot of us try to do is really focus on not doing the bad stuff in our lives. So I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit doing that. We know it's not good. We know it's not right. It could be looking at pornography. It could be uh, being dishonest in your business. It could be you know, flirting with somebody you're not married to. It could be any of those things, right? You know you shouldn't be doing it, and you decide, I'm going to stop doing that bad thing, whatever it is. I'm not going to be lying anymore. I'm going to stop. And that's not a bad, that's a good decision to make. But here's the problem with that. If that's all you do to fight it, it's just, you know, say, I'm determined. I'm not going to do that anymore. If that's all you do, you're going to fail again eventually. Because just that approach will never get it done. Here's what you have to do. Like the story of casting out the evil spirit. The illustration is they cast it, they got a bad thing out of the house, and they swept the house clean. They got it all fixed up, but they left it empty. And there was plenty of room for those evil spirits to come back. Even more than were there before. And take over that house. That house is your life and my life. You could say today, I'm not doing that anymore. And you can fill the rest of the day with, with that decision. I'm not doing that today. And you could get through today and not do it. But if you don't fill that void with something good, with the right things, 
you're just leaving a void there that will be open to the work and the influence of Satan again. You have to fill the void with the right things. So when you think about that, the spiritual disciplines are the right things. If you say, I want to honor God more in my life, well, then what you're really saying, if you mean it, is that means I'm going to be in the Word more. Because that's how I'm going to honor God. If I'm in the Word more, I'll know more what God teaches. I'll be have it in my heart and my mind right there to, to, to have when I need it. I'll, I'll have it stored there and ready there. You remember the Psalm 119 and verse 11, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, if you don't have the Word in your heart, what kind of ammunition do you have? If you're just fighting bad stuff without the right ammunition, you can't do it successfully. You have to take the time and make the effort to put the word into your heart. Well, well, I attend every Sunday and listen to Pastor Andy. Well, thank you. That's great. It's a good start, but that won't do it, friends. You see, I'm not with you on Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday when you're facing all those temptations and those battles that you're fighting. I'm not with you right there whispering in your ear at those times. I'm not. Uh, I, I'd like to be sometimes just so I could smack you and you could smack me, right? right? What are you thinking, right? right? And you could do that to me too because I'm going to need it too, right? But that's not how it works. You know how it works? On Monday, I spent some time in the Word. So when I face that, you know what comes to my mind when I face it? God's Word, God's teaching. God's Word is powerful, friends. The Scripture talks about how it's living and active. It's powerful. And the more of it you can put into your heart and mind, the better equipped you're going to be to face those battles, those struggles that you're facing out there. A daily time in the Word is essential to being able to maintain moral purity in your life. There is no other way to do it, friends. It's that simple. There needs to be a daily time in the Word of God to equip you for the battle. Now, you know, it talks about putting on the whole armor of God and putting on the Word as part of it. Prayer is part of it, right? It's having your faith strengthened by others as part of it. All of those elements, the more of those elements, spiritual disciplines you put in your life consistently, the stronger you're going to be, the more well-equipped you're going to be to do battle and have victory in those battles to maintain moral purity in your life. You're struggling with alcohol abuse. Well, yeah, you can choose not to go to the bar, but if that's the only choice you're trying to make, that's not going to get it done. You can get alcohol other places. You do know that, right? Friends can bring you alcohol, invite you to their house and have alcohol. You don't have to go to the bar, right, to have a struggle with alcohol. So it's not enough just to say I'm not going to do that. It's also adding to that I'm going to spend time in the Word, and I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I know this is a battle for me. I know it's a weakness. I know it's a struggle. So the focus of my prayer life is going to be there as I try to win those battles. I'm going to be praying regularly, consistently about that struggle that I'm having. God says, I'm here for you. You can approach my throne of grace. He says boldly through Christ. You can come with great confidence that he's going to be there for you to hear and to answer your prayers for you. It's one of those spiritual disciplines. It's being disciplined in prayer. And in the word. And it is a spiritual discipline. The Hebrew writer says, don't forsake the assembly of the church either. That's a spiritual discipline. There's encouragement there. There's accountability there. We all need that. 
There's the ability to encourage others, but be encouraged by others when you assemble together with other people who are trying to win those battles like you are. That's why organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous have some success. It's because there's that camaraderie with other people who are going through the same struggles you are, right? Well, in the church, even though we put on a good front on Sundays, maybe, right? We're all going through those same battles, facing those temptations, going through those struggles. We need to be there for each other and assembling together regularly and not forsaking that is one of those spiritual disciplines that help strengthen us for the battles that we're facing. You don't make it just an occasional thing. You make it something you're committed to, devoted to consistently in your life. Because the more we equip ourselves for battle, the more likely it is we're going to win some victories along the way that we wouldn't have won otherwise. In the Philippian letter, Philippians 4, Paul wrote these words. It's kind of a summary of how instead of just focusing on don't do the bad stuff, here's, here's the shift he says to make in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, all of us, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When he says think about such things, that word think means to dwell on those things. Where should your mind be going? Instead of I'm not going to do that, where should your mind go when you're determined not to do that? Focus on the good things, the pure things, the right things. Here's what I should be doing. Let's read about those. Let's, let's remind ourselves of those. Here's the activity I need to be involved in. Here's the, 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 the things I should be saying. Here are the things I, I, activities I should be uh, more inclined to want to put into my life as a regular part of my life. You focus on those things, not just on trying to stay away from the bad things that you're trying to stay away from. Here's what Paul went on to say in verse 9, and this is the goal. This is what I want to encourage you to be able to say. It's what I want to be able to say as your pastor, as a husband, as a father and a grandfather. Here's what I want to be able to say, what Paul said. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that the goal? That we are that kind of example for our family our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our co-workers. If you've seen me making it part of my life, then you can feel like it's okay to make it part of your life too. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you that, that you allow us to be part of representing you in the world. It's an honor. It's a privilege. But Father, in order for us to represent you well, we need to be serious about maintaining moral purity in our lives. And even if we're ridiculed for it, Father, your opinion should matter more to us than anybody else's. Honoring you, hearing those words from you, well done, good and faithful servant, mean more to us than hearing the praise of our friends, the people of our culture, co-workers. Father, we want to be a good influence on them, but more than anything else, we want to honor you. We pray for strength, we thank you for grace and mercy where we've come short. But, Father, I pray that we could be recommitted today with a very positive approach of focusing on the good things 
of representing you well from this day forward. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.